0: What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini.
1: And I'm Scorpio, and I am so excited today because today we bring to you my interview with Monica Bordiski. And for those of you who don't know her, she is the founder of Witch Fest North. She is um, an artist. She has designed several decks, and I know she's got more stuff coming. Um, so, the House of Shadows Lenormand deck, which is phenomenal. And then she's got this Shadowland tarot deck with the book that is also fantastic. So I had a chance to speak to her. And it's a bit of a long episode, but I think you guys are going to love it. I mean, we really don't try to do long episodes unless we feel that it's, it's really good. And here's the thing. There was so much more to talk to her about. So I want to have her back on. I told her I want this to be an annual thing because I love her.
0: I think that this is going to be one of those episodes that people are going to remember for a while. And because it's so long, I think we should just jump right in.
1: Okay, let's do it. So first, I want to start off by thanking you, Monica, for coming on the podcast. I am so excited. I am fangirling. Your deck is my, I already told you this, my deck, my go-to deck, Lenormand, and soon to be the tarot deck. We wouldn't talk about all about that. And before I pressed record, we were talking about Halloween, and I don't want to stop. So we were talking about our love for Michaels, the Halloween section, Spirit Halloween, and you had just said you meet all the best people.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me here, Nori. I've been looking forward to this interview so much and connecting with you. And yeah, we just jumped right in two seconds after saying hello into our favorite time of year, I guess, and goth looks. And Halloween and yeah I can't help but run into some really cool people there and it's really you know kind of funny because you know people who are there seasonally they're just kind of tire-kicking and then you get those people with the vibe they come in with the jewelry and the look and you're kind of looking over going hello (laughs) you know they're part of your kind of tribe it's really wonderful and I think it's interesting too because as a witch practitioner Sometimes people think, oh, you're only supporting kitsch, and it's damaging the practice. I have to be right up front with that right away, because I know it disturbs some people. But you know what? I've always been both. They do intersect at at spots, but I've always been kind of the spooky kind, you know that from my artwork, um, because I've always explored that realm, and somehow Halloween And being very lighthearted about these things actually relieves any kind of stresses that you might have experienced being a little gifted in the spiritual department, which is something some folks don't get. I'm not wholeheartedly... um, you know, saying, yes, yes, stereotypes are us and starting my own shop here. I'm saying that it's really important to embrace that part of it. um, So you don't take yourself so seriously. So you kind of enjoy uh, life with the mortals. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, when we started the
1: podcast, uh, we always said Gemini is the pink witch. And that's what that's her vibe. And For me, she says, well, you have to be the face of witch space because you are goth. Like, you're an elder goth. Like, that's what you do. And, yeah, they kind of, to me, they go hand in hand and had nothing to do with each other. I wasn't goth because I was a witch. It was just, I was goth because I was goth, you know? And, oh, yeah, and I happened to be a witch. You know, It's it's two different things. And I agree with you. I go into Michael's, and I'm so happy because now your weirdness isn't weird. It's Halloween, and you can just go anywhere and do all this and just... Oh, just kind of relax with it and have fun.
2: It's true. And I think we have to be aware of, but not frightened of the fact that pop culture intersects with our practices. And you know sometimes they just they just coincide and bump into one another but they are not inextricably linked in that if you're one you have to be the other we should just be aware of the connections there and and celebrate those and say you know what there's plenty of witches who aren't goth there are plenty of witches who are you know totally you know the natural you know outdoor type who just don't look at anything Um, pop culture and I personally think this is more of a divide between uh, city witches and rural witches myself maybe even in attitude but I've always grown up in the city as much as I love the country but you know I think uh, I think you're right that you do you know you run into great people at these uh, Halloween shops too and it's a wonderful space and being a goth doesn't necessarily mean you're a witch but the same thing happened to me You know, those two things ran parallel and they just kind of collided even with my art because everything's integrated, right? Yeah. And I I just
1: want to say, because I know she's listening, um, the happy ghoul, um, a former student of mine, she's already all grown up and... I met her at Spirit Halloween this year. We were getting out of our cars, and she went, of course you're here on the day that it opens. You know, (laughs) it was so good. So we kind of shopped distantly, but together. So it was fun. Exactly.
2: And I've invited people when I've been uh, shopping. We sort of start chatting, and then I say, hey, do you know about a little thing called Witch Fest North? Maybe you want to, uh, you know, join in with that. And I've met just wonderful people that way.
1: This is so cool. So we're going in completely different order than the stuff that I had written down, but we already started this way. So let's go into it. So um, you're part of the WDA and you were, you did several conferences. The last one was the Lenormand Summit. And at one point during your presentation, you said, so I'm a witch. And I thought that was so funny the way you just said, oh, I'm a witch. And I said, okay, so um, is it hard to come out?
2: like that, like to, like with, with new people? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, um, I feel that it's kind of obvious and, you know, I, I think if you're self-conscious at all, um, you know, it could be awkward. I'm really not that way. If anything, I just forget to add those things because I think it's so apparent from my approach. And then I realize that, well, no, that, that, you know, isn't apparent to a lot of people. Maybe you just want to mention because for some that um, that means something entirely different. And maybe they need to know where I'm coming from in my practice uh, and my approach to Lenormand and to tarot and to art you know, no doubt this is affecting everything I do. So maybe I should just interject. And then I become aware that, yeah, well, that was probably kind of, you know, a little peculiar because now people don't have context for what that means because the word in itself is a million things to a million people. You know, I may have just sent the townspeople scattered. I don't know, scattering in all directions. Or they could say, oh, that's really cool. So am I. So, but no, it is not difficult for me at all. As a matter of fact, I'm always mentioning it on my website. I think if it's not front and center, it's just because, well, I mean, that's like anything you do, right? I mean, do people come up and shake your hand and go, well, hello, I'm an accountant. By the way, I'm Christian. You know, there are some things that maybe you don't, that isn't pertinent. I just feel like with divination, Uh, It is closely tied. Again, it doesn't mean the two are inseparable. It's just that I found relevant to the practice. Other things, maybe you don't care. I mean, if my work has a witchy vibe, my artwork, that's fine. But I'm not sure it's directly relevant unless I'm talking about a method of reading uh, with my artwork. Otherwise, if it's a print or you just enjoy the art, I don't have to say made by a witch, you know. So it's really circumstantial, you know, but it's on my website. I've done uh, national interviews in which I've stated that. So, you know, apparently a lot more people know, but I've never been hiding that fact. It's just some people are not aware or ask, and I don't think it's relevant. How long have you been practicing? Probably since I was a very small child. Uh, This is part of a familial kind of a tradition in which we did not call it witchcraft because I'm a first-generation Canadian. And, you know, that is not something Europeans ran around uh, waving flags. Hi, we're witches. Not if you wanted to live. So it was just a way of being that encompassed us being um, herbalists, very close to the earth and uh, nature, even though they were living in small city villages and advising people with dreams that they had, with visions that they had and also offering remedies um, in, in terms of certain salves or herbal things, but there was always intent involved. So where it crosses over from just a village person who might use herbs is the point at which my relatives put intent into the outcome of healing or advising, which I think is where it kind of shifts into why I would more align with witchcraft. Uh, So I've been basically doing this my, my whole life, but only identifying that way, I don't know, probably since I was in my early 20s. You know, which is a long time, you know? I am not 20 anymore. It's <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, so I, I don't know. I've always self-identified, but circumstances change too. I mean, when I was a kid in the '60s and '70s, uh, that is not something that you would said unless you meant that you were just really a disagreeable old lady. So, which apparently still, it still holds that meaning, but now there's a whole vibe of it being politically active and feminist, tied in with the hashtag Me Too, and I, you know, social justice issues. So it's a very different space now, but I've always practiced and I've always identified.
1: Awesome. Um, And divination, how long have you been, and what came first? What was your first divination tool?
2: When I was about five or six, um, we had a little cabin up north here and I just wasn't sure about doing something and for some reason just got it into my head to pick up three little, four little pebbles, three little pebbles, a white pebble, a black pebble and a gray one and I threw those down on the ground to see whether it was a yes or no answer. I have no idea why. No one taught me to do that. It was just instinctual. And maybe that's hardwired into our being to look externally for guidance that way with whatever we have on hand. Um, I don't think it's so exceptional. It may be peculiar to some, but I don't think it's that uh, exceptional of a behavior in general. And uh, it seemed to work for me. So I did that first. And then I was gifted with a tarot deck when I was about 10 or 11 from a friend who got a deck, a bad knockoff of a Rider Waite Smith deck for Christmas and didn't want it and just kind of threw me this pack of cards and said, do you want these cards? And I said, oh, sure and um, I started to learn a little bit, but information was scanty. We didn't have the internet. There weren't a lot of books, but I started to pick up and learn about it then, and I haven't stopped using tarot, so it's been over (laughs) 40-some-odd years plus (laughs) that I've been using uh, cartomancy.
1: And Lenormand, when did that come in?
2: Uh, In the 70s, there were reprints of Original Lenormand decks that were very popular in the 1920s, and uh, which was already a resurgence of the deck's popularity from the 1800s, and it was a reprint, a 70s reprint, and uh, I just thought it was a different way of getting information because of symbols. So, I, w- being an artist, I've always been incredibly interested in. A semiotic signs, symbols, and how you read symbolism and whether those are archetypes for a universal consciousness or whether they're very highly individualized. So I just really, really enjoy symbolism and fell into Lenormand because of that. Oh,
1: wow. Um, and okay, so now I want to talk a bit about your decks. So you have the House of Shadows. I was going to, this is so funny. I know that no one's seeing this, but I went for it to go to show people. Like who's seen this, the podcast? <laughs> Never mind. Um so you have the House of Shadows Lenormand deck and you also have the Tarot. Um it comes it's the deck, the shadow work, uh the book and the deck together. Um so when did you first start thinking I want to create decks? I want to put my artwork on decks. You know, how did that come about?
2: Oh, well, that's an interesting kind of a headspace for me because even though uh, my spiritual practice and my art practice are very closely tied, I think anytime you make art and some of the tools I use are kind of uh, tied in with my spiritual practice for actual physical creation of the art, very ritualized. But I was doing a lot of fine art. And um, I also did some graphic design for a while because, you know, you make a little bit more money with freelance graphic design. I had fine art that I created, and I really enjoyed that, and I was really getting into the gallery scene Um, and and not like, oh, my God, this person is a famous artist. Not at all. They were small galleries, and they were fairly local. I had some international uh, shows. But what I found was it was um, not satisfying something in me to know that that art is only going to be appreciated by somebody who can pay a certain amount for a single piece and put it on their wall. As a trained designer, I create tools that have a purpose. And, well, you can argue that fine art has the purpose of Uh, being decor or thought-provoking, you know, politically active, even changing things. I wasn't into big installations and, and some of that. I just felt that was a very static way of expressing yourself. But if I could put 36 or 78 pieces of artwork together and print them and get them into the hands of people who wanted to do some kind of self-awareness, suddenly I've taken it out of the realm to me of aesthetics and a higher price tag, which is inaccessible, and given it to people who can use it as a tool to assist them and to empower them. And I went, wow, this speaks kind of volumes to me that I could, you know, have all of these decks going out to people and They're seeing my art, but it's also helping them with finding the information they're seeking. It just seemed like uh, an extra bonus there. And then all of a sudden, I realized that, well, you know, I do use magical ink. I do use moon-charged water for my watercolors. So this is how my practice is coming into creating the art. And uh, I, love, I love empowering people. And suddenly this whole new thing opened up and I went, you know what? I know that there's some people out there who've been creating decks since they were very young, which is intimidating because they've already had the experience. You know, I'm such a latecomer into making decks then at this point in my life. But so what? Just jump in there <laughs> and do it. And I guess I have quite a few more decks in me, so stand back
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well that's good to know. you know, I was telling you before I pressed record that that's my go-to deck, that as somebody who um, grew up watching hammer films and chiller theater and all that, like right, oh my God, it's the best. And for me, you know when I started reading Lettermond, I said, decks like these are cute. These, oh, these are beautiful, but you always hear you have to connect with decks. And I thought, well, I haven't connected with one. I can I can read Lenormand cards, but I don't feel like, wow, look at my deck until I got yours. And, you know, there's something about trying to do a spooky deck. And I said this to you before we recorded. And somebody who actually understands, you know, like your deck is not like, you know, for people who don't have it, you really have to go online. And we're going to talk about all the websites and where you can you can find Monica's work. But it's not about being gross or about being... It's, it's the little details of the macabre, it's the little details of the goth that go into these cards that make it. And I think somebody has to understand that to create a deck that's going to work on that level. It can't just be, I'm going to create a Halloween deck and it's going to be spooky. Okay. You know, there has to be something more. So going back to the Lenormand deck, before we start talking about the tarot deck that you designed, um... I had the original deck, and then I just got the one with the extra cards. So I want to talk about um, the new additions, how we can work that in. What was the um, you know idea behind all that?
2: Oh, sure. Okay. Well, you know, like you, I mean, I spent a lot of my time. You know, I, sh- I should share that, I guess, watching the Adams Family and Hammer films and all sorts of spooky things that weren't. We're both horrifying, but we're also just part of everyday life, like uh, you know the monsters. And you know, I I enjoyed all of that. And I think that's a reflection of not only my point of view, but also some of the scarier things that I encountered. I find a lot of people who've had uh, paranormal experiences or who are very sensitive in that realm. You know, as a young child, that that can really be spooky and frightening so it would make sense that you would seek out the safe scare which is a good horror film because it's okay it's happening to someone else and also and there's resolve to it and also cartoons or kids shows like the Adams Family. So for sure that has uh, a lot to do with it. And I think people's personalities too. You just enjoy that kind of existentialist uh, dark space somehow. Um, and that's why I created the artwork I did. I didn't really connect with the Lenormand the way it was. I love the aesthetic and I, I appreciate art. I have so many art decks. But you know, I can't really relate to this gorgeous airbrushed bouquet of flowers. It's just not my personality. (laughs) So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, instead of focusing on, and I have painted portraits in oil, so I have been trained that way. But I looked at my sketchbook, and I'm like, but you know what? There's some honesty about who I am in my pen and ink, Uh, My grandfather was also into pen and ink drawings and an artist uh, as well. But there's a certain honesty about a quick sketch and working with pen and ink that uh, gives a spontaneous kind of a a feel. And I really enjoyed doing that. And then I realized after several editions of it, which I was surprised to tell you the truth, I never create anything thinking this is going to be a big seller. It, It comes from the heart. And it just comes from needing to express something. And you hope somebody out there connects and bumps into it and enjoys it. And I added extra cards after four editions. I ha- Well, actually, the third edition had six different cards. And now the fourth edition has six other cards. Part of the reason for that is I want each edition to be um, unique and collectors And understand that it's a very limited print run. You are getting something that is not mass produced on the same scale. I use local printers for that. And I take a lot of care in my work. But the extra cards, they're just concepts that I don't see in regular Lenore. (laughs) And I thought, not that I have such a huge ego, I think I can improve things. But I do like to give people choice and say, you pick. If you don't like those extra cards, you can still peel them out and use the 36 original cards. And, you know, sometimes those ideas just can't be contained. And so 78 cards came out with with the tarot. And I was very fortunate to have Schiffer and Red Feather, Mind, Body, and Spirit, like my quirky aesthetic, which is what it's called frequently. I guess we don't know where to put it, so it just goes into the quirky camp. And, uh, you know, I, I laugh when people say, well, it sort of reminds me of Edward Gorey or Tim Burton. Well, yeah, and if you do know Edward Gorey's work, you know that no one knew where to put his books either. So that is a certain risk for for doing that. But I I have a great time. And, uh, you know, that's where those unique cards came anyway. Okay, that's great.
1: And the Shadowland Tarot. So you in the WDA, the last conference, you were talking about shadow work. And I feel that this is something that we are now talking about more and more. I think that for a long time when it came to not just divination, I'm talking about witchcraft. It's about love and light and banishing the dark. And let's not talk about the dark and the darkness that's in all of us. So um, tell me about the creation of the Shadowland Tarot.
2: Well, you know, I really feel it, it's proven for myself. And I can only speak for myself and others that I've, Spoken to and mentored in um, my coven, that, and, and students at university I teach, that the more life becomes difficult or tricky and fraught with a lot of difficult decisions, the more I think we need to be self aware. We need to be prepared. We need to know ourselves. Uh, I think in knowing ourselves, we know others, we understand others a little better. And uh, Carl Jung uh, is the person who came up with uh, the shadow aspects of our personality. And I thought, well, you know, I'm attracted to shadow uh, for many reasons. (laughs) And I do enjoy uh, Carl Jung's work very much because of archetypes and symbolism that are inherent in uh, the journey that we have in tarot anyway. They are journeys. And why not put those together together? and offer a tool that is not only, well, you can use tarot however you want, but also gear the spreads and the reflection questions towards shadow work, in which you explore those parts of yourself that you've shoved right into your deep subconscious because either society has told you they're not acceptable, which can become part of our shadow selves, or because we're just embarrassed or, or shy about, I mean, often there is a lot of external pressure to conform. So I really feel that a lot of the things that we stuff aside are because they've received some form of disapproval, either on uh, through parents or family, friends, however we get that messaging, um, or we just think that they're really embarrassing behaviors. And the reason for doing that shadow work then is not just self-awareness and then understanding other people, but also there's a thing called transference in which we again it's about relations we may project that onto other people we are stuffing that part of ourselves down so we're kind of foisting that onto other people you know i always tell folks unfortunately a long time ago i went to see a tarot reader who projected anger onto every single client and because she was an angry person but she would flip over cards and say oh my gosh i'm seeing so much anger and it's like I'm not feeling that, but I'll keep listening. Maybe I just don't know. And it wasn't until much later. And I kept an open mind for that and looked at my own issues. But I found out later, just because people had seen uh, the same reader, they said, "Did, did you, were you told that you were like really angry, and I found that all of these really cheery folks that I know quite well, every single one of us was just pegged as being really angry, and I I don't want to get into jokes about my resting face, but, you know, I wondered if it was something, but, you know, I'm generally pretty optimistic, uh, despite my gloom. But I, I'm just quite certain she was projecting that kind of or transferring her own anger issues onto everyone. So it becomes particularly vital when you're trying to be objective about reading a situation for yourself or others that you are aware of your own crap. So you're not looking at the, you know, card and going, Ah, you know, hell is coming every time you see the devil. If you know your fears and you are aware of your sensitive Uh, Spots or your triggers then you have control over them and I just as I said, I love to empower people So for me, it was important to put the shadow work along with the tarot and say, you know There's this extra thing here because there's also so many decks out there Maybe we need to start getting a little more specialized and let people choose uh, whatever uh, deck's purpose is, it, in addition to using it as an everyday tarot. So that's how that came about. Oh, awesome. So
1: just to get it out there, if you just read tarot and you're like, well, do I have to learn something new? You can pick up this tarot deck and just read it the way you normally
2: do. Absolutely, you can.
1: Okay. You can.
2: Uh, you can, you'll can, you still, because I stick fairly closely to, even though, yes, it is my rather odd interpretation uh, in some instances, if you are familiar with the Rider-Waite-Smith system, you will see that uh, the symbolism is inherent in, in my cards as well. So you can use it simply as an everyday tarot if you want, if you like the Rider-Waite-Smith system. Which I think most people at least start that way reading that. So I think that it's a
1: good transition because I know some decks get really out there and some people tell me I don't even know what's happening anymore because you know (laughs) it just looks so you know uh, they've just taken a different approach. Well yeah
2: and you know what as an educator this is why I wanted to make it accessible too. I knew that if I stuck to a lot of the core interpretations in the Rider-Waite-Smith system it would attract beginners and if I added this extra layer with shadow work and some subtle things that advanced readers may pick up, then maybe I'm hitting a larger audience who might appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. So you mentioned that you teach. What, what do you do? Tell me everything you do. <laughs> I want
2: to know everything. Well, I'm not a career uh, teacher. I started uh, sharing knowledge uh, when I was asked to be a history program coordinator at the Native Canadian Centre of Toronto, which was really one of those weird sets of circumstances. I'm not Indigenous. Uh, Clearly, I I make it very clear that I'm of settler European stock here. But I really feel as uh, a practitioner, it is important to understand Uh, the first people of this land and that we are on in effect stolen land which makes people uncomfortable I understand but this was part of me volunteering a long time ago and then I was asked to be the history program coordinator when I tried to back out of that saying I am an artist and I'm not indigenous I was told yeah but you know you think in a way that's really conducive to being in the community. And by that, I think meaning not in the strictest linear sense of colonized thought. Being an artist, I can be a little circular (laughs) in the way I look at things. But apparently in this instance, it was considered a positive thing as opposed to all the nine to five jobs that I'm really not qualified for. So I was deadly shy, which is hard for people to understand. Huge introvert, okay. Happy locked away making art, but suddenly I was faced with having to articulate about ten thousand years of history to PhD people, and wow, you want intimidating, okay? Not as a career academic or <laughs> educator. This was huge, awkward learning curve. We're wow. talking, wow! I didn't know my knees could actually move that way up and down on stage. Where's the lectern I can hide behind? So I, I did that and I lived through that. And I realized that people started to come to me asking me for things and that I really had a, a, a lot of satisfaction in people appreciating sharing of uh, anecdotal um, knowledge uh, as opposed to strictly academic And that is very much in line with Indigenous thought because those were not written histories. They were all anecdotal or verbal. And I gained such an appreciation of that and thought, you know what? That is true. What we pass on verbally is really vital. And it is including experience. That never makes it into a lot of edited academic work for a variety of reasons. And um, I went back to... uh, university which was arts and design to get a bachelor's degree because I would had a lot of circumstances that kept me from doing that and upon completion you know people started to ask me maybe because I'm patient maybe because I have my quirky sense of humor people keep asking for information and I thought and I'm good with distilling large amounts of information into sound bites that make them easier Maybe because of having a lot of ESL in the family, you learn to take information and translate it in a way. And I thought, you know, I guess I could do this. So uh, about 10 years ago, I started teaching at Ocad University in Toronto as a sessional instructor. So it became one of my contracts. Primarily, I do artwork. Um, I have done illustration and... um, you know, selling prints of my work and commissioned uh, work, but this this is a very different space, and it's very invigorating to to teach. And I teach my own classes online about witchcraft and tarot and the things that I really, really love because I don't mark them. Um, we get to have conversations. It's a little less stressful than a university setting, and um, I, I just love that space. It teaches me a lot because when you're clear about expressing yourself, for some reason, for me anyway, it comes through in my visuals. So it's giving me clarity in what I'm trying to say, organizing thoughts. And then uh, when I sit down to draw and I do my illustrations and work on my decks, I suddenly have this insight I didn't have before uh, teaching. So they're working together, and I mentor a group of uh, people for uh, witchcraft practices uh, in a coven, and I just love sharing that knowledge and seeing people make it their own and becoming empowered. So I see myself as helping people bring out their own voice. I'm not, you know, dogmatic about this is how it's done. I just don't function that way. Um, and that's why I only teach occasional classes at university and they are think tank and sustainability. So how we can make this world a better space and, and drawing. So that just suits my schedule too to teach a class now and then, um, I'm not teaching, uh, this fall. But I'm working on more art and decks, so it allows me a lot of flexibility, and it just seems to fit in perfectly with with who I am. I think the more you do the things that you love, and they fit together, the uh, higher your quality of life. And for me, that has little to do sometimes with finances. Hey, I'm an artist; I can live on fumes. I've been well trained. <laughs>
1: Um, that really resonated with me. I teach English. I teach high school seniors, but I teach college courses. And I love it. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I tell them when we go to read something, I said, if all you're going to do is take notes on what I say and not teach me what your generation, what your knowledge sees in this literature, then this book is dead. And there's no point of reading it because every generation is going to put in something new. And I want to hear what's new. I don't want to hear myself reflected in your essays i'm going to tell you what i think but i want you to tell me what you think and i will i will
2: probably incorporate that in other classes and i have you know absolutely oh my goodness that's the thing there are people who throw their courses into complete autopilot and i'm like oh no every time i've uh taught the same class i listen carefully to what people are telling me, what is working, what isn't working, what they need, and those needs change dramatically. And you have to be open-minded to do, if you really want to empower people, and uh, keep yourself relevant, and understand what's going on in the world even, and really appreciate, I think, uh, young people and their input. You have to hear how they're processing the whole world and how it's affecting them. And if their learning needs shift, you have to be responsive, which a lot of people, again, find awkward. Clearly you don't. It's wonderful to hear how you're teaching, because I'm sure your students are very appreciative of the fact that you see that book then as a living entity that they're contributing to, which I think is just a beautiful sentiment.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to talk about Cabin. Because you mentioned your coven and we've had conversations on the podcast about traditional traditional versus non-traditional covens you know our coven is not traditional at all um you're, you're smiling and nodding your head because i wanted to know um your coven um is it a traditional one uh, not at all so how did it come about? if you can talk about it
2: well for sure it's uh been around for about 10 years and when i first started the coven You mean it's awkward. Oh, my goodness, right? All the personalities and group dynamic. That is a living, breathing entity speaking of. And I had a steep learning curve with um, clearly communicating and within all the different levels of understanding uh, in the practice, more so than, than a class, because when people agree to take a class, you know, they pay their money. There's, there's a lot of uh, unspoken agreements there. But when you get into a circle and you're trying to decolonize uh, that kind of patriarchal system of, you know, I'm, I'm the, the leader and you're not. <laughs> and yet you are through experience. Uh, you are, in effect, a covenant elder, but you have to be open to other people. So that dynamic was really awkward because there were so many people who wanted to come into the coven to tell you what to do. And this is how you do things. And especially when you're saying this is not an open tradition, there are just people who take that as a way to, good, then I'll take the leadership. That, that's just a fact. People are highly competitive, I find, at least in this city. And um, then people want to say, oh, that's not how you do it. You open the circle this way. And it's like, okay, let's just, this is how I'm going to open the circle. And this is why, because of my experience, when you open your circle. So it became a teaching coven in individual practice. And some people aren't happy with that because they want a set of rules to follow. They find it way too organic. Wait, one week you did it this way, one week you said it that way. I'm trying to instill critical thought and creativity here by you understanding the foundation and then you making it what you want it to be. You have your own culture. You have your own roots. You have your own um, experiences here. So. Let's agree that when we're in the group, I will share what I share, and you try it, okay? You've got to be open-minded and give this a shot, all right? And once you've done it that way, make it your own. Add your own ingredients, add your own uh, familial history, your own cultural perspective, your own political perspective, because what we are now, and it's taken 10 years of you know, well, I'd say we've had great people in and out of the coven. The thing is, though, when people leave, the stability is interrupted. So we have to regroup and we have to reinvent ourselves in a way. But what has never changed, I think, is that we are the people who stay and contribute and are, are really wonderful. and we have such wonderful members. We're all bound by the same values and the same ethics, not a tradition by rote not any written dogma. Uh, People take notes. I share my recipes. We uh, all agree that the full moon is very special. We all agree that the dark moon is great for reflection. We understand the earth. I talk about elements and their attributes and correspondences, but You put together all those things the way you want in an individualized practice. You put things on an altar the way you like. You can believe in deity if you like, if you connect, or spirit guides, or ancestors. You call in or go visit whomever you like. What I would like to give people the tools for is how to conduct those things safely, how to work in those spaces, Uh, without, you know, blowing themselves up or the world. (laughs) You know, it's like chemistry here, Uh, you know, and how to understand those approaches and where they come from. Fill in the context historically so you know what is a Judeo-Christian root, uh, how Arabic teachings come into this, uh, and how folk magic or practical magic from our own villages and towns, how that factors in. So you put that together and identify the way you want and build your own practice, but when we come together, we have a great time sharing our ideas, and often it is me saying, okay, here's here's a thing, and take that, reflect on it, work with it, and how does this work and fit in with what you're doing, as you were mentioning, because it's a living practice, and bring back your results from that, because as you know, when you hand out the same assignment, everyone has a different approach and process, and it's all good. Everyone, when they come back and they say, oh, I tried that. It sucked. I failed. It failed. Share why. Share how it worked or it didn't work. That's okay. And then someone else will go, you know what I found? It worked because when I took your stuff, I used it this way and it completely blew my mind and worked. So you're learning what is working for you or perhaps not working for others, uh, but you're all trying the same thing. So basically with long answer, I'm sorry if I'm being too long winded. No, I'm loving this. It is a group bound by ethics and morals, but we are all in effect solitary practitioners. You know,
1: I love this because Gemini and I have wondered how other covens work because that's who we are. We are a group of people who never wanted to be in a coven. That was right. It was just like, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. But then it was also, Hey, I would invite friends over. Do you want to just hang out? And I knew they were all witches, but I didn't necessarily tell the others that they were witches. And then of course they start talking or the tarot cards come out. And I said, this is kind of nice. We should meet again. You know, and it just became like, let's just hang out. And then it became a joke this is a space for witches. It's a witch space, you know, and he, 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 ha, ha, ha. And then it became, well, you know, um, in bulk is coming around and, you know, we have one Hellenic witch Gemini's the Hellenic witch who goes, what's that? And I go, oh, come on, you'll have fun. It's just, it's just a nature thing. And we kind of, um, connected through the Sabbaths because it was just a nature thing. And we're in the lower Hudson Valley and we have seasons and it's fun to get out there and to do different things. And then we said, well, I guess we're kind of a coven. And, um, and it's always me pulling somebody in and it's just, do you want to just come hang out with my friends and see how like they react? Then I'm like, Hey, welcome to which space, you know, cause now they know which space because of the podcast and whatnot. We have like one new person, um, mostly because, and she knows that she's a very strong empath and I was just worried about her. Because she was, you know, you also wear people going to different places and like, I don't want anybody hurting you. Like, just like, hang out with my people. Like, everybody here is going to nurture you and you're going to go off and do your own thing, you know? And so, yeah, I love that. I, and, I, and I wonder how many people are working this way. I think there is a new definition of coven now. And I think it's great.
2: Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I think there's different degrees of how much direction there is. Um, i mean i'm a fair bit older than other people in the group and i found a lot of people are looking for direction as far as a framework within which they can be who they want to be and to create a safe container and space but leadership at the same time which is very tricky because then it's a little more directed and you don't want to be authoritarian but you you do know more because you've lived longer and survived longer and uh, you want to share that. But I think there are a lot of covens functioning this way now, right from just a group of friends hanging out casually who have similar likes um, and interests and share uh, completely without any kind of formal instruction to places where uh, you are being directly mentored and then You're bringing your results back, but you are still friends as well. I mean, before COVID here, we got together once a week. We get together on Witching Wednesdays, and we still do through Zoom, but we were doing this at my tiny little home here, and uh, it was a potluck, so... You know, I would share information. People would share results for things, and then during the potluck portion, we would just have food and chat socially. And I do want to say that I never uh, felt attracted to joining um, a tradition or a Wiccan coven. I f- I found it, even when I was young, uh, to be too structured dogmatic, and and quite frankly, I just, it it just didn't resonate with me, and it kind of creeped me out, quite frankly. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, there's like this dude and this lady, and uh, I don't know, it just, it just, you're hanging out naked. I don't, you know, it didn't work for me, you know, maybe I was just a little bit of a a very conservative little kid, I don't know, but, you know, and being shy doesn't help, but I do want to give a shout out to the fact that because those covens uh through the 60s and 70s well start right from the 50s but more visibly in the 70s and then throughout the 80s set a foundation for the rest of us and that sounds horrible to say what we don't fit into but the fact is that is how a lot of things progress And if you find that you don't feel part of something, then you naturally start to seek a bunch of other folks who don't feel part of that. And you start to form your own groups and your own tribes. And I think that we should give a shout out to Wicca for that, even if we're not part of that practice or mindset that that has brought us to the space that we are at now of knowing who we are You know, even if it's a bit of a negative definition of who we're not, uh, still. And accessible spaces, there was an occult shop here in Toronto set by the Wiccan Church of Canada. It was a place to get supplies when no one else was carrying tarot cards or supplies. So in that, too, for the Wiccans who started retail businesses and were accessible, I have a lot to be thankful for, so I just wanted to mention that as well, as a, a distinction in practice there, but still as as helping us get to this space.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that without all those shops, only one remains in New York City from back in the day, which is Enchantments. Um, luckily, Otherworldly Waxes and whatever moved to Beacon, so they closed down in the city, but they went to Beacon. But we lost places like Magical Child, um, you know, which was gigantic. It was like the store. And yeah, you know, I I remember speaking to a coven that I was—I was curious about. They were kind of interested in me, but I just thought, you know, what they were telling me all these rules, and I just said, you know, I'm by myself. But it was sad by yourself, you know, (laughs) in in some ways. You know, you just want to connect with somebody and just say, this didn't work. Does this work for you? And just hear, like, no, I don't do that at all. I do this other thing, you know. Um, And I think what I also like about witch space is. Everybody's really different. Um, um, they, they refer to me as the head witch in charge because I just have this energy that just says you too. i I'm just like, just shut up. No, wait. You know, like, um, and they know I'm not being rude. I'm just, I just have this like louder personality and everybody comes to my house. That's how we do it. That's because I'm lazy. Um, but I just prefer to provide the snacks and just like, yeah, I just got up 10 minutes ago. You guys traveled. Okay. Good for you. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. We do have to, we owe them a lot um, of thanks. And, you know, we just recently spoke about Buckland. We to covered two of his books. And, you know, one of the early people who said, you can go out on your own. You can self-initiate. You can, here's my book of shadows. Go run with it. You know, that meant a lot back in the 90s and the 80s when you can pick up that
2: book and go, oh my God, you mean I can be by myself? You know? I hear you. Um, I referred to him as Uncle Ray. And, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him at Lilydale and I brought a book that I got when I, in the seventies. And I said, just, you know, Ray, don't feel too bad here because this book's from 1974. No, you're just a prolific writer. It wasn't a long time ago. And it was on paranormal, uh, subjects. And it was the way he spoke about these subjects, uh, because, um, as a kid in the '70s, paranormal and ESP—these things were all the rage. This was our only point of entry into uh, a lot of witch practices. And I talked to him um, about that book and what an effect it had on me. And um, I'm also part Romani. and we we had a great chat. And it was it was just really really nice to connect with him. So yeah, it's, I'm really happy that you mentioned him because yes, he he's like that. He's very much you know, get out there on your own and have your own voice and showing that even though he started in a tradition as well, he's moved and he created his own uh, tradition and said, what the heck, just go out and create. And I thought, wow, I never even occurred to me. So he, he was also key in me starting a coven and just saying, you know what, I think I have maybe enough knowledge about groups to have a group and see how the dynamic works, see what I can share, because I'm a, a total nerd and a voracious reader that some other people aren't. So, you know, maybe we can we can do that and see how it works. So I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned them, because absolutely. And as for lazy and home, well, you know, at my age, you bet everyone's coming over here, That end of that story, you know. That, and I'm really ironically deadly allergic to cats, And some dogs. So when I've gone to other people's spaces a while back, we held uh, many years ago, you know, we just held gatherings in different spaces to share. I was always having allergy fits and coming from a family of very little chemical uh, medications. I'm also allergic to antihistamines. So my body says, no, I just get rashes if I take antihistamines. So um, I just decided, you know what? I'm, I'm old now, uh, and I'm allergic, so everyone from now on is coming over here, and I will provide all the coffee you can drink, because we're total coffee, which is, although we love tea and, you know, snacks, I don't know why there's always a bucket of hummus, it just seems like it's necessary, <laughs> Uh, we should have, you know, we we really should, Nori. We should create a book together on on a uh, coven's like this, and you know, recipes and snacks, and you know, a few go-to things like bring your bucket of hummus, or here's how you make homemade hummus. Here's the quick <laughs> salads. Here's the witchy foods, and uh, you know, follow the wheel the way you like in the northern hemisphere. And there you go. Yeah, that's something to think about. I think people would enjoy that for sure people who aren't sure like what to do
1: next. Although um, I have to admit, I cheat. My husband's the one who cooks and I just go, hey, look at all this, and I go, this is great. I'm like, thanks.
2: And um, you know, whoever lives closest to the best bakery, bring out something sweet. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. We used to do the, okay, everyone, who's got the protein, who's got the veg, who's got the fruit, and who's got the bread and who's bringing the cheese. <laughs>
1: You know, I thought things were going to get easier with Zoom because now we also do Zoom uh, meetings. And the last one, I gave my dog a little bone that he chewed. Not, it's not a bone; I call it a bone. It's a little chew thing. And of course, it got stuck in his teeth. So all of a sudden, I muted myself, and all they see is this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm miming now, like me raising my hands up and saying "What the f?" Right? And they see me run out and come back, and I'm not even realizing that they're all just in front of their computers, just staring. Like, what is happening? over there, you know, and I finally got the thing out of his teeth. I come back and I go, I just like, you know, leaned in like casually, like nothing was going on. They're like, no, 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 don't just lean in. What the heck's going on in your house? So
2: yeah, it's not easier with zoom, but
1: yeah.
2: No, it's not. And you know, I was just telling, you know, we have these conversations a fair bit and uh, we were discussing how zoom or just virtual coven meetings are affecting dynamics. And, you know, I thought about this as soon as we started having them this way, that we're not having those little breakout sessions that we do in the kitchen over food, in which people are having their own little side convos, which is totally great. We're all just kind of this static head, staring ahead, listening to one person at a time. And so I'm like doing all this, like, yap, 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 yap. And then I'm getting, you know, a few head nods yeah. and people don't want to cut into one another. And, you know, it's, it's a little more awkward because into that, when you're saying, how is everyone, everyone goes, good, good, good. But you don't necessarily want to share you don't want to take up all the time. And so you don't want to tell every single person how everyone's doing. It seems to put a little bit of a damper on, you know, our social aspect because you naturally just turn to one or two people when you're in a group and you're having a break and share a little bit. It just seems a little more dynamic and a little bit more uh, conducive to, to staying tight. So that has been a bit of a challenge, you know, that, And, uh, you know, apart from, you know, showing your messy space and people going, what is that in the background? What (laughs) is this? How messy? What is that? You know, let me just zoom in on the thing on your shelf. Oh my God, she reads that book. You know, it's (laughs) like, I feel a little weird now (laughs) because this is my inner sanctum. Yeah. You know, the kitchen, uh, wonderful space. I keep clean the living room spotless. My little mini room, art studio, bill paying, you know, the functioning, the functioning part of the household here is not really up for uh, scrutiny, but (laughs) I've learned to live with it going, okay, you've seen me naked. What the hell?
1: (laughs) You know, I think also for, for us, when we get together, Zoom is how we also do work. You know, like that's how we have our meetings. So oh I think also used to just, okay, no, we're just going to stare and then we'll answer when we're spoken to, and then we'll click yeah. off and we're done. And the, the one thing that they realized, I took it down because I was like redoing some of my books in my office, but I have this backpack that has like a Whichspace logo and I have it up there for school. And I just want the other teachers to ask me so I can go listen to our podcast It's called witch um, Because we were already, the administrators already know that we're doing this. Um, they just happened to see something online and then they started listening. So one of the administrators came up and was like, love your podcast. I said, thank <laughs> you. And then I called Gemini and I was like, okay, we're out. We're completely outed. So now just promote the hell out of it. You never know who's going to need something. So there you go. It. So I have to put it back up there before school starts. Um, just reminded me. So from work, if you hear feet, that's my dog who just, he's in every podcast. He has to go walk away for water. So from the coven to Witch Fest, I want to hear about Witch Fest, and now it's all going to be virtual. So how long has this been going on? Everything. Tell me everything about Witch Fest.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, it's one of those things, too, that this happens for most people, I think, with things that they'd like that don't exist, and then they go, okay, naively, let's just make it then and I've been thinking about this for a very long time at the time that I started the coven about 10 years ago is when I thought you know what would be really great is to have not just a day called Halloween but have a full month of things that we can go to that celebrate the lighter side of uh, the practice and share wisdom and our talents and yeah You know, it's interesting how it evolved because this is our fourth year going into it. I just kind of took the leap, you know, because if you keep thinking about it, it's so daunting. You know, where are you going to get the funding? Where are you going to start a board? Are you going to incorporate this? Like I was going at it kind of like, you know, a business person which isn't the worst, but it kind of put it off year after year after year. Because every time I talked to people, even about starting a small retail shop, it was like, oh, no, no, I can't do that now. That's not this point in my life. And I went, okay, well, then you're sure as heck not going to want to help me with a full month of something. So I kind of kept it to myself. But then here in Canada, we had a very archaic law stating that it, uh, from the 1800s, I think around 1860s, that it was illegal to pretend to be a witch. It was illegal to, um, you know, pretend to tell fortunes. And so I understand that the law is written in terms of pretense and that it was designed, I think, primarily to stop con artists. However, I also feel that was geared towards a certain sector of society that did not need to be targeted or policed. And this uh, law came into reading in our house, meaning that it was being reviewed and eliminated as totally archaic and uh, a little bit outdated because we now have you know, our fraud squad, we have ways of dealing with people who perpetrate fraud and are delivering anything that is a lie. It doesn't need to be put into such a ridiculously small portion of practice or society. So the law was being, uh, I think it's in its final reading now, this takes years to eliminate and get it stricken off the books as part of a federal law, but it is. And at that time it was saying, we're, these are all the laws that are, are outdated and um, being stricken and going through the process of elimination. And I heard about that law and I went, what? I said, that is fantastic. That is finally being addressed. The stigma, uh, I mean, a lot of people were unaware of it. But uh, for those of us who were aware of that law, there was still the stigma of, oh, my God, you could, and it happens in certain states, I hear still, that it is illegal to read tarot, and uh, because it is still considered um, intangible and a fraud with no deliverable outcome as a product. And uh, so I just felt totally freed up from this and went, this is it. I think this happened in July. And I said, okay. Okay. We're doing a full month of a celebration. And I thought, well, why not do a weekend or something? I thought, no, no. You know what? Be smart about this. There's so many people doing things in October anyway. Why not make this as a giant umbrella and say, why don't you just become part of this giant Witch Fest North? North because it's a shout out to the Witch Fest that occurs in uh, New York, uh, much to the consternation of the Witch Fest that occurs in the UK, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not certain geographically we're north of them. But, <laughs> you know, it was to distinguish us from our nearest neighbor and um, not to absorb people. And to take over, which sadly is the mentality of many people who are highly competitive, but more so to offer that space and say, you know, we're all doing stuff anyway. Would you like to be part of this and remain autonomous in what you're doing and your outlook? But join forces with us in in helping bring our message to people, and through the arts, because it seems to me, maybe just because of my own artistic practice, most of the practitioners I know are writers, are visual artists, musicians, and have a very creative expression. The readers and um, others who are politically active, also have space even though this is primarily an arts and culture fest and if we can show people that what who we are and what we do in the safe container of all of October and the season of the witch maybe people will gain that understanding we'll form a larger community because we're so siloed in our practices you know I figured if we're a coven of individuals there's probably a whole bunch of solitary and solitary like covens or just groups or spaces like yours so maybe we could all just kind of meet one another um in in a safe space uh so we know who we are and if we know who we are we're capacity building we stand together we feel united we've created a broader community and then we have a voice because as individuals we don't really have a voice in any way. We don't have any collective voice. Maybe we could have a collective voice as we do in the coven then by our ethics and values, not by um, our particular practices. So it's an expansion of what I envisioned the coven being. And uh, fortunately for me, I have a few very tight coven member friends who agreed to jump into to this space, uh, like Lisa East and Stephanie Days, Rowena Katigbeck. Um, there's so many, you know, uh, people who've been key in helping uh, bring this forward. And they dedicate, like I do, a lot of volunteer time. We do things very low budget. I think uh, one of the years, it may have even been last year, I don't know, I spent a lot of my personal money, which is very tiny. But I think Collectively, people um, we put about three or four thousand dollars into a full month of activities, including renting spaces and uh, charged very low for accessibility, like readers' fees and admission, if any. And oh, we broke even, <laughs> which is great. Ah. If we create a bit more money, we will donate to charities and to the causes that we feel strongly about. Um, but There is this understanding that while we would like it funded without funding, we also retain our own autonomy and holding what we want, where we want without having people's logos and sponsorship or changing the voice. And, um, it seems to be working. We get a letter of greeting each year from the mayor of Toronto saying, welcome witch fest in his formal garb and his medallion, which is so nice because, uh, He's a conservative uh, politician, but you know I fill out the form and say, "Hey, what do you think?" And we get a letter of greeting from Mayor Tory saying, "Well, welcome Witch Fest," you know, because it is an arts and culture fest for the month. They've been pretty supportive. Um, We haven't applied for formal funding yet, uh, again for those reasons. But I see that we could be expanding going into the fifth year, and I also need to give a shout out to. Mayor Kim Driscoll of Salem because I have friends uh, in the US and in Salem and um, uh, Alan and I my husband have been going to Salem for again about ten years or so every year just to feel that you know what you can walk around as a witch and be recognized you're not invisible so this this factored into the fest as well it's like this visibility and people even knowing who you are instead of Like I'm perpetually mourning because I'm wearing black. You know, like you might actually recognize that this is practitioner, you know, it's a quirk of a lot of practitioners to wear makeup or wear black or be goth. Not necessary, but a lot of us, who wear pentagrams and do this, you give, you know, like I got the ring on and you, you know, you high five someone else with the jewelry, right? Well, you're recognized. And uh, Lori, Lori Bruno, oh my God, I love Lori Bruno. She's, she's been a wonderful person in helping me with, uh, you know, looking at which practice and and how it's evolved. And I met so many great people. And I asked mayor driscoll hey listen you know would you you do haunted happenings every year which is just marvelous right what would you think if i kind of gave you a shout out uh, would you think it's a good idea would you even just not necessarily you know get on a campaign to endorse but i i'd like your input on this you know i'd like to do a witch fest north thing can i mention your name or can i say this that you think this is an okay idea? What are you thinking? Oh, she was so marvelous with this. Talk about a woman who thinks about equity a great deal. She just said that is a fantastic thing. Go for it. You certainly have my thumbs up. So I just wanted to mention that as well that there is this kind of kinship uh, with Salem, and um, I also work with Chris Gerke in Salem. The event got canceled at the Hawthorne Hotel this year. Uh, She's also a practitioner. She flew up uh, to Toronto last year to participate in Witch Fest. So we're really cultivating quite a bond between the cities. And I hope that continues to grow. And then, you know, the world. (laughs) Which we're trying with this international online thing. Uh, You know, this is really difficult to expect people necessarily to turn out. You can pull it off for one or two major events or a weekend or a week. We'll just wait and see how it goes for a full month. I hope you participate in this, making this a better space and a few other practitioners. And we'll, we'll see, we'll see how the audience uh, interacts with zoom because there is a little bit of online fatigue, but we're going to do our darndest to still have our fourth witch fest North and have great speakers And online art. Since we can't have our gallery show that we usually do, we're 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 doing it anyway.
1: (laughs) I think it's going to be successful. People, even if they do have Zoom fatigue, it's Halloween, and you know the the word is oh, Halloween's been canceled. And I keep saying it hasn't been canceled. Get creative. Go online. Um, You know, one of the things I love to do was go to the Oddities Market here because. That's where I got to see if I didn't go to Salem. And it got to the point where I was driving there several times a year and I was getting my hair done there. Like I just was meeting people and I was just like, I just want to be here. My husband loves to drive. So it's just get in the car, let's go. And, um, you know, it's about finding things online to do. And people from Salem would come down and to the market in the oddities market in Brooklyn. And it was like, oh, I'll see you here. I'll see you there. Like, this is just so fun. And, you know, we even had like Black Veil tattoos would come down and give tattoos here. So it was probably the closest thing in New York besides the Witch Fest in July that we really had, you know, people think of New York as, wow, there's a lot going on. But when it comes to things like this, yeah, we really don't have anything going on, you know, Um, I will not go to the Haunted
2: Happenings, though, in Salem because it has gotten insane. I know. We have not gone there for so many years because it, and when we did, we just went in the first week because the closer it gets to Halloween, it's just an absolute crowded insane fest. That's not really my thing. Mm-hmm. We're not really into partying like that. So, you know, we, we kind of avoid it now. We've gone in spring, summer, cause it's always Salem. Um, mm-hmm you know, and we avoid it a little bit ourselves, which has also prompted me to start something up here.
1: Yeah, no. And what I was going to say about the oddities market is the people that run it do an oddities auction every Saturday live on Instagram.
2: Oh, come on. I did not know about that. I got to tune in for that. Oddities auction is the
1: Instagram page and it's every Saturday at three o'clock. Oh, wow. People turn up and it's every Saturday. I mean, we're all, you have a captive audience and people want to do these things. It's a matter of what is it? Where is it? How can I get on? You know? So I think it's going to be successful. So tell me how can people find out more information about Witch Fest North for this coming October?
2: Well, uh, we have a Witch Fest North Facebook page that is primarily where we post things. And I understand some people don't want to join Facebook, but you know, if you just pop in there, it's just hitting our largest target market. We have an Instagram account, which is Witchfest North. And uh, it's being all of our announcements are being reposted to the Instagram account. And our website is lagging sorely behind. But as soon as I get the calendar finalized, because I'm still inviting people to come out, uh, we'll post everything there. And I think it's a matter of... Um, you know, us having an events page on Facebook. So each, each event will have its own space and you can come out to that. We have the Wickedly Divine, which is uh, October 10th and 11th for readers and people who are selling their products. And we also have the Full Moon Market, which is Saturday, October the 3rd. Of course, we have two full moons this month. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's such a special year. So we have our opening on the 1st, and we have our uh, closing ritual and festival closing, of uh, ancestral ritual I should say, on Samhain, and uh, lots of stuff in between with uh, separate guest speakers, and we're still finalizing the lineup, but it's looking pretty good so far. CATS is the Coffee and Tarot Society, which takes place every Tuesday. It's kind of a drop-in. You can talk about tarot, but there will also be guest speakers uh, who are specializing in tarot. There's Witching Wednesdays, which will be every Wednesday, and that is um, sort of a witchy drop-in as well with what kind of uh, essential oils or uh, flower essences can you use um, in your witch practice, as well as just, you know, people sharing. And I'm teaching a formal witch class um, for four Thursdays in October as well. So that's going to be every Thursday. And then we'll still have a few weekend um, talks and uh, Friday evening get-togethers that are open. So it's coming. There's lots of uh, time and space for people to share their knowledge. I really encourage people to contact us and reach out because sometimes our outreach is the thing that suffers when we're really strapped with volunteers. And uh, we try to make that clear, but, you know, posts get lost and and calls for submissions get lost in the giant never-ending scroll. So I still encourage people to reach out and email us um, or to just post on messenger if you want to leave a message or Insta messenger, uh, you know, or me directly, you can always email me if you can spell my last name correctly. Uh, I will answer anything you want about Witchfest uh, because it's Monica at gmail.com. So people, you know, I encourage your audience to reach out and offer, um, if there's a talk that they want, I think we have Jess Miller too, by the way, giving a a great talk on a representation of the goddess as far as um, uh, culturally and racially and the history of how, Uh, goddesses have been represented and uh, her thoughts and feelings on that, which should be a wonderful talk. So we have all sorts of stuff. But if you aren't sure, and you haven't seen the calendar yet, which is not up as of this moment, um, you know, just shout out and say, what's going on? Or can I offer a chat on this? This is my practice, because we're pretty open to that. And if you're willing to hold your own podcast, Zoom event, and you'd like to be part of WitchFest, that's fine. You know, what I would see there is cross-promotion, which is what we're trying to do. So you may not be directly affiliated, but you're welcome to jump in and say, yeah, we're working, we're collaborating with WitchFest because it's happening this time of the month and they're promoting us and we're promoting them. So that's also welcome. Wow. Um,
1: so now is everything going to be live? Is anything going to be recorded and then shown, um, on which fest? In other words, are, think, presenters, are they all live or?
2: I think if people want to do some podcasts or want to have recordings, we will include them. Uh, if you want to record stuff, that is, that is fine. We'll find space. I mean, I understand scheduling and it can be a little hectic, but I think there's room for everybody And uh, for sure, I think recorded information is going to be happening for some folks. But for the most part, you know what? I think going live is really crucial. I could put my classes online, but there's something about the interaction and live questions that they, you know, people don't always want to type out what they're asking they're in the moment a bit more. So I'm actually trying to keep most of the stuff live, but there's, there's room for people if they say, Hey, I've got this recording. Do you want to run it? I mean, I would, we would do that as well. So we see ourselves and and I am the programmer of the festival, the founder and the programmer. And so I can find spaces. What would work logistically um, due to our incredible, you know, Our resources are very limited as far as as volunteers go, so I just want people to keep in mind that while it's a month long, you may have elevated expectations of all of the work that we can actually do while retaining our our nine-to-five existence. So I, I just want to remind people that We don't have a formal board and some people are just not available to plan a year in advance. They just are not. Their schedules permit almost um, spontaneous plan, do the thing just because they're so overwhelmed that functions for us. So it isn't a lack of foresight on our part so much as resources. So please be patient if things are uh, feeling like they're not quite optimally organized to your expectation, it, it is because we have very few uh, volunteers who can dedicate this amount of time. I try to be equitable in on honoraria and compensating people. I don't expect everyone to work for free either, but it is a reality that some people are going to be asked to work pro bono, and um, so that may not work which also makes us have to react very flexibly to who we can ask or who we aren't asking. So there's so many factors here in running things without sponsorship and without a steady income that I would just ask people, please jump in. If you can assist in some way that is greatly appreciated and um, and uh, try to be patient with this. Come out and support because you love witches. You you just love the idea of community, and it will grow and expand with your passion and your ability to contribute. And you will be compensated in many ways, uh, even if not your usual pay grade. <laughs> it's just a fun
1: thing to do, you know. And I'm so glad I found out about it. And I definitely want to do this live and. Um, you know, hopefully next year, get out there. I want to be able to take part in all this. It sounds fantastic. So everybody knows now, Facebook is the main page, but also Instagram, Witch Fest North. And, you know, go on there and reach out. You have no reason to reach out. And if you forget somehow, reach out to us and we'll remind you how to reach out to them. Um, Thank you. We're going to make this thing fantastic. So I only have one more question for you if somebody was starting out because we're academic witches and we talk about books, what's the one book you would say, you know what you should read? You need to read, or even if you're not starting out, what's the one book you think that every witch needs to have in her library?
2: Oh, I think I have to, there's so many, and I am such an academic nerd. I read Mm -hmm. things all the time on um, ancient uh, pagan practices and pre-Christian practices, but if you're just starting out, I th- I think I ask everyone to read Margot Adler's Drawing Down the Moon. It's just one of those go-to books that even if you're not going to practice the way Margot Adler did, there's so much uh, information and it's such an interesting doorway to step through to see um, her point of view and uh, reverence. I I think really I I do amongst a hundred other books, but I recommend that book for people to read and to look at. Awesome.
1: Well, I want to thank you for your time here. And um, I can't wait to talk to you again.
2: I'm looking forward to it, Nori. Thank you so much for asking me, for inviting me, uh, for me to talk, and uh, for you and I to get to know one another a little better. I can't wait to have you as part of Witch Fest North. And uh, please say hello to all your crew. And from the Dark Moon Coven here, I'm sure they'd all like to say hello to you as well.
0: This interview was so much fun. I loved listening to you guys talk about so many different things going from like the intersection of being goth and witchy to the aesthetics of the practice all the way into like responsive teaching. I think it covered such a gamut that it was a wonderful experience. And I think you're right. We want to have her back on as many times as we can. Oh, yeah. Um, I think
1: she's somebody that if you're fortunate enough to learn from, I can't imagine learning from a better witch. I mean, she really is um, so caring. Her energy is so amazing. And it's all about community, you know, which is what something we've been talking about. It's about raising each other up and supporting each other. So, um, you know, you can find Witch Fest North on Facebook. That's mostly where they live, but they have their own website and Instagram account. So please check them out. There's going to be a month long thing of, of just for witches by witches. It's going to be great.
0: And I'm sure that once we're all able to, which is definitely going to be heading out there. And we hope that we get to see and be part of that community going forward. Oh, I would love that. There's nothing that would make me happier for sure. For our next podcast, we are going to be talking about a book. Um, and I think we're going to be talking about a spell book, which is a new kind of twist. Yes, you know, because
1: I think it was our last podcast we were talking about you know, you asked me something about did I use books, you know, and spell books. So I went digging and I found, and I can tell people it is the Modern Witches Spell Book, Book Two. And Gemini said, "Where's Book One?" And I said, "I don't know. It's somewhere in my house." But it's by Sarah Sarah LeDon Morrison. So if anybody wants to pick this up before the next podcast, uh, the one I have is from Citadel Press. So that's the book we're going to be talking about, and uh, I'm kind of psyched because it's a, it's an oldie but a goodie. I think it came out in the 80s. So. It's
0: going to be definitely a very interesting conversation to to dive into a spell book for the first time. And of course, thank you to Sean McShane for our intro and outro music. Thank you to all of you for giving us this platform, for being an amazing audience, for reaching out to us on Instagram, through email, uh, through Smoke Signal. We really appreciate it. And thank you to Monica for taking the time out to speaking with me because it was fantastic. And remember... If you're following the moons. You're following us.